General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome to Episode 2. Thanks for joining us. Well, we've played a couple games of Blood Red Skies over the last 48 hours, and I think we have a couple observations and things that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, overall, I think we all like the game. Absolutely. I think there's yep. some things I'm, that are frustrating. I'm right there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> some, some things that we don't know why they're done the way they're done, but that's fine. That's any game and, and the game system that it has. But I think we want to take some time and just talk through the missions that we played, the things we learned playing those missions, uh, the, the different aircraft we played, and, and some of the unique... Uh, takeaways that we have. So I'll start off a little bit because we've talked about the the forces that I play and for all but one game today I played the RAF and I played RAF Spitfires. I did play one game of ME-109s against uh, Chris and his Russian aircraft. What I um, will say is that it's the Spitfire after having kind of proxied a few games and worked my way through it I thought I understood how well uh, it performed it was interesting to actually play it against a real opponent instead of just myself and, and see how, how those interact with an ME-109 and some of the abilities the ME-109 has to counter it. But beyond all that, I had one continual frustration, and it really came from me not reading the scenarios very well because there's things that I think we assumed from our other game experience, like our Warhammer experience, that everybody starts on one side of the table and everyone on the other side starts on the other side. Oh, right. And, and as Brett saw that we... we Chris and I were running a scenario where I assumed I had to start across the board. I could have started right behind him, and I didn't realize that. But uh, so, so rule number one is read the scenarios. Yes, it is. RTFI. If you don't know what RTFI means, go look it up. So RTFI, uh, in this case, RTFS. Uh, but the, there was a continual point of frustration that we'll talk about with the boom chint mechanic. And I understand why it's there. It's an it's a amalgamation of battle fatigue Injury to aircraft, injury to personnel, fuel, ammunition, stores, all those kind of things being rolled together. But there's times that, at least I felt, uh, sometimes there was disproportionate damage done to a force on a few airplanes. A few really resilient airplanes that wouldn't die, that kept getting whaled on turn after turn after turn, where boom chits kept getting generated, and you couldn't get them out of the dogfight they're in. And it, it... it felt, not not saying it's not a dig on the rules, but it felt a little unfair as you're trying to race across the board and get to, to these aircraft you're saving. Um, but that was also, I didn't need to start across the board. Yep. That happened in your game with Chris, right? It did. So it happened in the Russian game, which what we were playing was we were playing the fighter sweep scenario. And what I didn't understand, having been playing scenarios where, with you where we were supposed to be across the board, that once my disadvantaged airplanes were out on the board, then he put his next set of airplanes within 18 inches, or greater than 18 inches away, I'm sorry. Uh, and then I had to do the same thing. I could have positioned also, you know, on that same side of the board, but more than 18 inches away from his, and that my high cover didn't have to be on the other side of the board either. My high cover could have been right there on that side. So, so Chris and I could have had our forces in about a 24-inch part of this board all there. And, and there would have been very little... Uh, maneuver range. Everybody would have been right in everyone else's chili, but difference of being disadvantaged, advantaged, high cover, 
that would have added a little bit of of interesting mechanic because we had that in our game, Brett, where where I you you didn't fall for the trap too bad. You did get pretty close to my board edge to where my high cover was waiting, which allowed them to come in and influence the game directly. But you were smart enough to go, why am I going to fly and then put my six o'clock right at his his uh, uh, high cover there? I'm just I'm helping I'm solving the problem for him. So there there were some interesting mechanics there that I think are have an ability to be deep if if you're playing them well. Uh, they are frustrating if you're not really thinking about how everything should be set up. What happened with the boom chip things? I think I missed that on Chris's game. It was it a situation where aircraft kept so he was back chasing? No, he was chasing two aircraft that just wouldn't die, but he kept hitting them, and so they were disadvantaged. Yep. They would get hit. I'd take a boom chip, but they would dodge, so they wouldn't oh, get shot okay, down. Okay, okay. And so for three turns, he punished this poor section, this this two ship of Me One Hundred Nines that was running across the board for their buddies who were running across the board to get to them. And that's not how it had to start. It could have started with my uh, fighter sweep section that wasn't in high cover. Right. could have started 18 inches away from his fighters. And so, so I'll bring up 18 inches as a very important number. And I don't think Andy Chambers chose it uh, arbitrarily. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him about it, why he chose 18 inches. But when you maneuver the aircraft around and, and speed seven fighters all fall into this, the radius of their turn not using tight turn or any other performance characteristics, not not doing a maneuver, not burning advantage for maneuver, their radius is 18 inches. And so it's about the 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 what we would call in the fighter community an energy-sustaining turn radius. So you are going to exit that turn at the same energy state you started. So the assumption is if I'm an advantage fighter and I make a 180-degree turn just using my movement, I'm going to be 18 inches displaced on the board. So... What it really allows you to do, if you think about it, is an 18-inch distance between you and a bandit allows you to neutralize the fight. So you, regardless of if he starts at your 6 o'clock, you don't start truly at a, and I'm going to mix my terms here, at a disadvantage. You, you could be disadvantaged, but the fact is, just through regular maneuvering, you're going to be able to bring it to a point where, where you're now turning 180 degrees over four different moves uh, through your 45-degree moves. Um, then of course you can always ch- things change though as people can dive and cl- reclimb for advantage, or you have a- abilities like great climb where I can defeat your ability to climb back for advantage, and so you have to kind of work through some of those um, as appropriate. Um, but what were some of the frustrations that you guys felt just kind of looking at the game for the first time? Because I know Brett, you and I played at Adepticon. It was a very much handheld game uh, by the Warlord team, and they were awesome. They, they did a great intro for us, but they really walked us through oh, yeah. uh, that first game. So today was kind of our first freeform game, in a sense. Yeah, really doing it on our own. I, I don't know. I wouldn't call it frustration. I mean, it's still, still I'm taking it all in, right? I don't, I, I don't look at the board see all the angles, and you know, it's, the matrix isn't happening for me as I'm playing the right. game, so I'm still figuring it out. But I think after really only a couple of games, and we use the cards and everything, I feel like I it, that quickly could figure out the depth of the card mechanics. Like I wasn't so confused on the cards. It was pretty easy to pick up. And, and for me, it felt like a lot of it also. They, while the abilities of the aircraft were different, the effects kind of mirrored each other. So that, sure, tight turn and great climb are two different effects, but they're both ways you can neutralize what somebody is trying to do. Or, especially the, the, the benefit of tight turn is sometimes I can get myself to a firing solution faster right. than the other aircraft. Well, and those decisions about the pilot action, you know, uh, at the first game or two, I think I was confusing uh, outmaneuver and, you know, shootings 
uh, scenario, scenarios where there was different, uh, you know, range well, versus and the tailing, tailing. mechanic. Yeah, so, I, the, so the tailing me. mechanic is is something that it's the diagram is drawn well in there. It's funny when you go out to the Warlord forum. There's more diagrams people have drawn to really try to explain to people about how the tailing mechanic works, because I think what I learned the most out of this game besides getting beaten up and actually only winning one of these games but i learned how to put your aircraft in a position to be that wingman to deny tailing opportunities that was really evident in your, your game with chris just looking walking past the board and i mean that's what all, all that that's what kept crushing me it was like every time i turned around boom there was he had a wingman covering him but my guys were were hanging out in the wind they had split off and and they had nobody covering them right but so, so so the funny thing though was that was a closer game than you might think you might think oh okay doug has figured out the wingman part of tailing and how to deny a tailing advantage to to chris so therefore he must have had hardly any boom chits no i had six boom chits for eight aircraft i started the game with uh so so my problem was I kept still taking shots or getting shot at. I just was denying him knocking me to immediately down to disadvantaged. But there were advantaged fighters of yours. They kept popping, you know, come out of the cloud neutral, climb yep. up and the next turn they're shooting somebody because I wasn't able to influence them. So that's that's where I keep coming back to frustration with the boom chip mechanic because I'm denying him the ability to make me disadvantaged, but I'm still taking a boom chip. And so there, <laughs> there's an element of frustration where you're like, I can't do everything perfect. I can't deny you the shot. You know, why am I why am I getting penalized? Why, even though I've defended um, against the shot, I'm still getting penalized for getting shot. Um, but that's fine. That, that's the mechanics of hit right. versus catastrophic hit and versus a, a hit you don't dodge. Yeah. What do you think about the just the overall narrative? You know, we use these mats that, you know, look pretty good, I think, in the plane. So I, I like well. the mats. Um, I'm kind of glad that I forgot to bring my sky mat that we were going to cut up and use as backgrounds for some of the, the closer shots of the models. Uh, because these mouse pad style mats are nice. Who did you uh, get these from? I got them from a couple of places. Um, this one, the, the one we're looking at now is, I, I really, as I look closely at it, I probably it's probably a World War One Europe, because I think it looked really close, like you said. It looks like maybe trench lines and right. stuff, an aerial view of you know the countryside. But anyway, it's it's really nice, I think. for I, I, When I first got this, I was thinking maybe Eastern Front, maybe Defense of the Reich, but this one's from Deep Cut Studio. I found it online, just Google searching. The other two, I have one that's uh, sort of coastal Kent or something. You know, it's got the the channel and the coast. Right. And I like that. I like that map. Yeah, I got that one, and I got the the uh, Pacific Sea one from Tiny War Games. Tiny okay. War Gaming, I think it's called. And they have a U.S. distributor as well. So, but yeah, the quality's real good. But I thought, you know, it just it was kind of fun because you know I think this has the potential to be such a great, you know, the narrative, the, the, the visual, the aesthetic of it, I think is an important component for me. And I thought that worked well. Well, and, and that was something I know, Chris, we talked about was the, the visual component of this and getting yourself to a certain level of detail. Oh, absolutely. Because the two of you are far better painters and modelers than I am. I am the weak one of the, this, <laughs> this trio when it comes to those skills. But I thought that it was still enjoyable for me to play with models that had some things done differently, like you guys didn't use all the prop discs. I guess I'm the only fool that glued his prop discs on. But um, even though the models, I don't think any of them were exactly where we wanted them to be for a perfect you know, model uh, for 1-200 scale, they still played really well. And you felt good moving them around the table. You didn't feel that you're pushing your army of shame in its gray plastic around the table. No, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat off that. Brett's look 
pretty darn good. I, mean, I, I think Brett's there. I don't I think mean. he is. I think he has hours and hours of work. He needs to go back to his painting hole and keep painting. I mean, there is something about being shot down by another just badass looking airplane that just, it does make things a little bit better. I mean, it no, doesn't. No. It does. It, it, no. it did for me. Did it, it make did it better for, for Lydia? Cause she's a smoking so, hole in the center so, of the board. Uh, she is, but she got a 109 before she went down. So she's I mean, still a smoking hey, hole. congratulations. It was my first game and I got an air kill. That's Wait, all that so, matters. So I beat you in 30 K at Adepticon and I beat you. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm continuing my trend. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how it goes tomorrow when we get 30 K back out. <laughs> yeah. I didn't bring, <laughs> we're going to play zone mortalis, right? Small army. Didn't bring enough. I'll be painting my dust miniatures. Uh, okay, so you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of things we walked away from. We used clouds a lot in some of the battles, and that's uh, an an interesting mechanic uh, and an interesting uh, game changer, especially when the fight centers around those clouds. Because Chris, I know it became a real point of frustration that that you're looking at. And you're like, I see there are these Mu 109s in the clouds. How are they going to threaten me coming back out of the clouds? Yeah, and and, and they would. And a large part of the frustration for me was I could use the clouds too, but being my first game, it was, okay, so what exactly can I do in the cloud? So I wasn't able to, to do that. Okay. I can, I, I don't know the rules well enough yet where I could set myself up one, two, one, two, well, you know, for me, it was basically, okay, it's my turn. Can I get in somebody's freaking six and shoot at them? That, that's, well, that's where I will offer two points. One that the warlord team did a very good job with us. They gave us a very basic game, no clouds. No cards. We didn't play with cards. We just played the basic maneuvering mechanics of the game until somebody accumulated too many boom chits and their squadron went home. And so I thought that was a great way to, to get into it and not get worried about what is the appropriate counter to somebody else's card. Just don't play with that level of depth. Mm-hmm. Just understand how the aircraft maneuver in the game. That sequence, at, yeah. that The sequence of your maneuvering and why tailing is important and why tailing only happens at a certain point in the game you know, after you've done your maneuvering and everything, that's when it comes in because then there's the choice of, okay, now I'm tailing this guy. Do I shoot him or do I climb up for an advantage and maybe go ahead and, and, um, and use that later on for more ability to kill people? Or do I not even shoot him? Do I outmaneuver his wingman who's not affecting me, but is going to be a factor later on. So maybe I don't want to shoot anybody, but I want to knock both of them to a less advantage state. So I thought that was was really interesting to play through a little of those. And, and my recommendation kind of the community is if if you pick up the game and you, you look at it and you are a, a miniatures war gamer who comes from a background with no cards from games uh, like, you know, 40K where you're really not playing those except maybe for psychic powers and things. If you're if you're not used to the card mechanic, if you don't necessarily understand all the, the aircraft, and the clouds, barrage balloon me- mechanic, don't use them. Just put your airplanes out there. Figure out how the airplanes move. And, and my second point is, I felt I did learn a lot by pushing around two ME-109s and two Spitfires on my dining room table, just figuring out the maneuver mechanics. Because I think when when I walked into today's games, different than you, Brett, I felt comfortable with the aircraft maneuvering. Right. Now, there were some rules, things we had to learn about, you know, the, the tailing mechanic and when it applies and... and what clouds can do to that maneuver and, and your ability to to employ a slightly different maneuver because you burn the advantage, but then you could be leaving the cloud and, and making that that maneuver later. Um, but I, I think for me, just pushing around and figuring out how models moved and how they got to a shooting solution, that gave me a little bit of an advantage. Not that it helped because I still lost, uh, but it gave me, it made it easier for me to, to move my miniatures around the table and not have to, to think through it. Two, two games was sufficient to... I think, kind of solidify the order of operations. Absolutely. You know, that, that sequence. 
I think after two games, I, was, I felt pretty comfortable. Like, oh, okay, it's this, then this, then this, and, and I knew what the options were for pilot action. Pilot, yeah, pilot action. Correct. So, yeah, that was easy. I, a couple games, and it's you're ready to go. And I like your your advice about just pushing a couple planes around without worrying about cards. Just follow that cheat sheet that comes in the starter box with the order of operation, and just get that sequence down, and your and the decision making process for your pilot action. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that was what the, the struggle was for me. Right. And the struggle was real today. So it was <laughs> it was jumping in, having clouds on the table, having, I think we had six air, I had six aircraft, you had eight aircraft. Right. Um, we were playing with the cards, clouds. I was just... Well, and, and that's it, kind it was, of the was beauty of doing bit. the scenarios in order yeah. for everybody. Because scenario zero is that reconnaissance scenario that actually was the most fun of any one of the scenarios I played today. I enjoyed it. One, because I had painted up a pink reconnaissance Spitfire, just like you would have had at that phase of the war. We all know you like pink airplanes. Don't judge me. (laughs) 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 So that to me was a fun mission because I took the unarmed faster variant. So I get 50 knots. I get an extra move out of it but I can't shoot you. So all I got to do is run and stiff arm you. And, and we even talked about, there's some decisions that I made playing that, that were a little counterintuitive for me as an aviator. So there was a point where I knew you were going to catch up to me, but for the purposes of the game, turning into you to make that, that close aboard pass didn't do me any good. I still had to run to the edge of the board. Cause if I made it to the edge of the board, by golly, I was going to get there. And of course you shot me down right as I uh, was it was about five inches from the edge of the board from uh, from moving off the next turn. But um, I think if you play that one, you learn those those basic mechanics. And you're not going to have clouds when you play Scenario Zero. You're just going to set up three airplanes, two, two ME-109s, one Spitfire, and you're going to figure out that how do I move? How do I how do I use tight turn right. to, to hold off the ME-109? There's not so much going on that you can't, you know, try a couple of dives or... Right, and, and you don't get lost in the, well, I don't want to do that because it's going to put me in front of him and his other wingman over there is going to do X, Y, or Z. There's so few airplanes. It's it's really not uh, not very intimidating. Um, I do think the level of complexity steps up rapidly, though, when you go to those other scenarios, specifically when you start playing theater cards. Because what might start as a 2v2 in the second mission suddenly can be a or sorry, a 4v4 could be a 4v6 because the Germans can bring in two extra 109s if they choose to use that card and play it at the beginning. And so all of a sudden you go, all right, this, this complexity is stepping up because as we've seen, having a hand with three cards, the magic number is once you get above about four airplanes, you start not being able to do everything you want right. in one turn and having to really decide, okay, am I going to burn this tight turn? Am I going to burn this great climb? Because... I don't have, I can't do it for almost everybody. I can only do it for some of my pilots. Well, I also found getting the ace card early and having an ace that's not in position to do anything is a little bit detrimental in that it's a whole card that just sits there. Snapshot set in my hand for for so long because I had Galand there and I was waiting for one of you morons to fly in front of him at what would be not a tail or nose on shots would be a deflection shot. So I could play this card and everybody was head on or tail onto him. And I'm like, well, yep. I should have, I, 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 I had killer instinct on Lydia and there was at no point was able to get within three inches of you because right. that's what it is. I, I get crits, you know, when I get within three, it's an automatic critical. So it's, right. it was, I just couldn't play the card and I couldn't get rid of the card because it's there. So it's, it's well, one you less can discard card. it. I yeah. mean, you, you can always discard it, but the problem is you say every time you do that, it goes, 
to the the yeah, rest of the discard pile. You're like, I don't know it, especially in a larger game where you have six or eight aircraft, and now there's maybe six or eight cards sitting in the discard pile. The odds of that one coming back when you need it are pretty slim. Yep. You have a, a 4v4 out there. The odds that you're going to pull a tight turn, great climb, any one of your aircraft-specific cards you care about is pretty high. So like with Brett and I, I was tight turning the whole time. I was oh, having yeah. a great yeah, time. because I'm, just, that out, yeah. I'm wearing that card out because I know that I'm at least drawing one. Mm-hmm. So I'm at least going to be able, the odds are high, I'm going to be able to do that for one airplane. I may not be able to get half my airplanes to do this, um, but it's, a, it's an interesting mechanic. I well, like. Did you did you guys have a favorite card? You use the tight turn. Well, I use because I, I fly Spitfires. That's the only yeah. aircraft uh, maneuver I have. So tight turn and, is, and we're the same with yeah. the Yaks. The Yaks is the tight turn. I mean, that's what that's what it does. I like the, so. the great climb. You know, I had great climb and great dive, but great climb I liked a lot because it would uh, allow me to deny sometimes something you, you would try to do. So that was fun. I, I'll be honest. My my favorite is not an aircraft um, tactic. It is a doctrine card, and it's defensive tactics. It's the ability to maneuver your airplane to either force somebody to take a deflection shot or to force it into a head-on shot. And so you now have a, a shooting opportunity. Um, and so it's, it's really fascinating that as you, as you look at that card, and I don't think I have it sitting out here uh, in front of us, but it gives you an ability to, to actually change, change what's a, a very bad situation to be something where you're like, all right, he may get a boom chip, but he's not going to shoot me down now because right. I'm going to have a pretty well, good chance I, to I defend. I think it was a Doctrine card I used a couple times that I was like, oh, man, a good thing I have this. It was the one that let me uh, dive a disadvantaged aircraft. Correct. That was Correct. a good one. That, I used that a couple That was times. the... Because it can be played with great dive, and I can't remember the name of it is now. Yeah, I don't have but Yes, that was, that was the one that uh, normally ended up inside your arsenal. So that was... That was a, a good one, um, and, they, and there's a lot of a lot of good cards that that really shuffle. And I think they've done a, a a very good job with by theater breaking out the theater cards and by year breaking out the doctrine cards, such that they they make a good sense. Yes, well, well, loyalty performance is one of them. Yep. So so you brought that one up. Uh, loyalty performance. The thing that I like about that is that obviously allows you to take that disadvantaged plane, and you've already moved last. You've probably been shot at. Hopefully. All you've done is eat some boom chits off this poor guy. But the first thing you do is you make him advantaged. And that's huge for me because if, if you're already going to have to have this poor guy bug out of the fight, now he can dive and he can extend out of the fight. Or he can also um, then make a maneuver, maybe just truck straight ahead, go ahead and climb back up if there's other people protecting his 6 o'clock and other wingmen that he can fly towards. So uh, low altitude performance is definitely definitely an interesting one. And, and you know, maybe maybe what we need to do is after a few more games under our belt, sit down and just talk about how our our card style may or may not have changed. Okay. Because I wasn't big on the Doctrine cards and the theater cards starting off. They, they seemed more cumbersome than helpful. The aircraft cards we use routinely. Right, so the aircraft cards I was comfortable with. I'm like, that makes sense to me. That's that's how my airplane performs. But as I went through a couple of these these games, I'm like, I'm starting to like the doctrine and the theater cards because it give me a flavor of the air force beyond just the the um, theater card of numbers. We're like, awesome! I get two extra airplanes. That's cool. Uh, but <laughs> but besides, you know, having that one as as a theater, uh, some of the doctrinal changes and, and things made it made it pretty interesting. Although we didn't play with them. We have the expansion pack cards. It was cool to look at the expansion pack cards and see how it potentially changes the game for future games as we play late, later right. later war missions or you know later war aircraft. I thought it was kind of a pretty cool and insightful thing to add to the game. You know, it just adds a little you know change to it. You look at you know how the the different uh, 
versions. Well, you look at the 109 because you've got three yeah. different 109s yeah. now that you've got the expansion with the Fox and the Kilo, and you've got the Echo is what comes in the basic game. Yeah, I thought that was kind of or neat. whatever you play with those today, but it was German cool. equivalent name is the Ernst whatever. Yeah, Emil the Franz <laughs> Emil. and the Carl, right? Right. Yeah. Emil the Franz and the Carl, or the Echo Fox Kilo. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not smart. I will not remember yeah, that. Today was the first day I even opened that bo- that expansion pack box, but it was cool to see, you know, see the cards and see where this can, can go for us, you know, with future missions and other... All the bombers of yours that I can shoot down. Yeah, right. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. That'll be good. <laughs> I'll enjoy that. Right. See how that works out for me. Well, Good. What were some of the other, uh, at least things you might have been concerned about that you, you kind of walked into the game going, how is this going to play out? Is this going to be fun? What were some of the things that went really well where you, you were pleasantly surprised that either the game mechanic flowed well or you were pleasantly surprised that it was fun to get everybody stuck in a furball and, and be all within an inch, two inches of each other and have to make those tactical decisions? I like I liked the decision-making process and I like that you're not knowing the rules and I still wasn't, I wasn't frog-stomped. You know, it right. felt like I was still in the game, you know, even though I was learning and trying to figure out and making mistakes. Starting tomorrow, no <laughs> more coaching now. You guys, when, when, when I played the, the first games against you, you, you beat me fair and square. I just had to laugh. I'm like, man, I should not have thrown that good idea out there. <laughs> right? uh, but there's a lot of us learning, I think, and that, that that's the great thing about playing amongst friends and not being worried about it. Yeah, There's no ego in me winning or losing those first couple games. It was a lot of fun to sit there and go, oh, man, what you really ought to do is this. Because you probably don't see how bad you could screw up the rest of my plan. Yeah, you really uh, so. led us well, I think, in helping us figure out the you know how it works and you know, make good choices as we play right. along. So that was good. Well, I think that's one of the things that you that in a, in a gaming group that plays Blood Red Skies... That's a level of depth I would hope people would get to. Because I'll be frank, I look at a lot of the the battle reports out on the internet, some of the YouTube videos. There's a lot of people flying head-on right at each other and taking a lot of head-on shots. It's it's like they're playing Warhammer 40K in the skies. Hmm. You know, everybody yeah. wants to get in charge range and punch the other guy in the face. This game isn't designed to do that. This is aerial combat for a reason. And we had a few head-on shots. And there were some really interesting choices as people start accumulating boom chits and you're like those are dicey yeah, yeah those are dicey because I need to put a boom chit on him but I may eat another one right. just for doing that I can't just we can't just discard both of them and say nobody got a chit that could push me closer over the edge than him it's not an optimal firing solution right? yeah so so I think there was a lot of of more much more maneuvering in our games than I had seen on a lot of the the internet battle reports and I was happy for that because that was us learning how to play an aerial combat game not how to push pieces of plastic at each other until we get within, you know, close attack range and roll a bunch of dice. I found it tough to get tailing solutions. You know, uh, I was felt like how am I, you know, the whole time I'm looking at the game, I'm trying to figure out how do I get into a tailing situation. But what I was forgetting is the um, the outmaneuver piece, right? Because that's nine inches, right? Right. So, so, so that's the you know. the great part is sure you're not getting to an automatic disadvantage solution. But let me just get close to this guy, outmaneuver him, and outmaneuver that aircraft, especially when you have an automatic, like having an ace who's skill five against a skill three pilot out there. That's an automatic shift of one one level. And if you do that at the right time, as people are moving in, in that uh, activation order, then that can be really important because you can have your ace who might still just be neutral. Take that other neutral fighter down to disadvantage so they don't get to move. And your other neutral fighter now behind him can 
can be in a firing solution. I think future games, I'll be looking for more opportunities to outmaneuver than I was in my first game. Right. See, mine's the exact opposite. So when I pushed the, the plastic around the table by myself, I spent a lot of time using outmaneuver. I found today I spent a lot more time putting myself into a tailing position and more importantly, setting up a wingman to be covering me so that no matter who popped out of the clouds, you might have a chance to shoot me, but you were going to shoot me at the advantage level I was already at. And you weren't going to automatically drive me yeah, into the disadvantage. Still, I'm still learning that. I still, I still have to learn the angles on all that, right? It, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like that joke that we used to have in marine aviation that you'd go out and you'd fly these missions where it's, you know, one fighter and two bandits. And at some point you get in a daisy chain. There's a bandit in front of you. You're trying to shoot him and his wingman's behind you trying to shoot you. And we found that a couple times where we got into this, this chain of disadvantagedness <laughs> that at some point somebody breaks it by bringing their wingman into the fight. And, and for me, on the, on the former aviator side, I love that because that's exactly how multi-plane engagement went. Everybody would think, I've got this great firing solution. I'm about to maneuver where I can gun this guy. Where did that F5 come from? I'm going to pitch out and have to gun, you know, have to defend against his impending gunshot. And that, those are the decisions that I think especially we were making, Chris. Yeah, that, that was the rough part for me, honestly. The, the wingman mechanic was, I think, the one that was hardest for me to catch on right. to. And at the end, I was starting to get it. But it, it really is. Well, that it, was the unfair advantage. It's it's I huge. had played three games today, you know, between today and yesterday against Brett. And then I played you on my fourth oh, game. Oh, you, you laughingly say that it's a lot of people play it like 40K. I don't know if you noticed, but I played 40K today. I <laughs> just, and I just, I, well, charged and, right at me. And it was charged wonderful. right at you. That's kind of a Russian Air Force tactic. <laughs> kind of Russian but. tactic. That, that, that worked out awesome as you pushed two of the ME 109s yeah. around for a while. And yeah. then it didn't work so well. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think a lot of that, once again, is just comfort level with the game and, and knowing, knowing how the mechanics work such that you can take a look at it and you see the options on the board. Because, to be honest, we do it in 40K. There's, we can talk later about the do you allow someone to, to pre-check distances and firing arcs in this game and, and what that brings is a house rule taking that whole capability away, which I think makes things really fascinating but really frustrating. Um, but... If you, if you think about like 40K, there's a lot that we just look at the board and go, I can tell that I'm going to be within a move and a pretty good odds of a charge of, of getting to that, that enemy unit over there. Uh, or I'll use the example from 30K a lot of times going back under the 7th edition rules. There's things where you can look at and you go, I'm going to face you know multiple different disordered charges if I do this. That is not a situation I want to go into. While it's physically possible for me to get there, it's not going to be very good when I get there. So what were some of the other takeaways that you guys had? Silence in a podcast yeah. is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is great radio. Well, it's a good thing all three of us have a face for I podcasting. Wanna, I want to learn how how to set that up. I felt like I was always moving my aircraft. I generally kept two aircraft kind of around each other, uh, but I don't know if that was really do, doing any good. So where I could defeat a tail, you know, position my aircraft to better defeat a potential tailing situation or be in a position to better tail. I don't really, I, mean, I still have to figure that out. Yeah. For me, it's the fact that I need to learn the rules well enough that I can start planning. I got, I got to start. Oh wait, playing. this sounds like playing 30 K with you. I know you need to I know the start rules. Playing. Well, I, I played checkers today and this is definitely a game where you have to play chess. You, you tell, you tell me to paint my stuff, out. learn your rules. So I, I, <laughs> it's, it's front and back of a card. It's not hard. I, I realize it fellow Marine, four other systems in your head. Would, would you like me to bring you some crayons in case you get hungry? You, you might need to eat some of them, but draw out the rules with the rest of yeah. them. 
Yeah. So, no, and, I, and I say that jokingly because yeah. that's what I did last week. And, and my wife laughed at me, but I'm like, I am not going to go down there and embarrass myself that I don't know how this is going to work. Because I think everyone's looking to me to go, oh, Doug's the aviator. He's going to walk us through this whole thing. Well, yeah. that's the thing. It, uh, the rules have always been my weak spot, but I paint really well, so I just brought sexy airplanes, and I figured that would carry me. They blow up just fine. <laughs> great plastic and painted plastic blow up just fine. Yes, it does. <laughs> so now I, I, uh, I really enjoyed playing against you know two different forces and playing two different forces on my own. Um, unfortunately, that makes me actually want to own other Air Force's models. I'm certainly not going there because the last thing I want to do is start a Luftwaffe Air Force as I have a lot of Allied stuff that's unpainted. Um, but I think it showed me that it doesn't, or it didn't feel to me like 40K or 30K or, or even bolt action where a lot of the knowledge is knowing the Army or the Codex. It wasn't that way. It was understanding how the aircraft maneuver and then figuring out which of your cards were the right ones to give you those advantages or to give you that optimal way to make that maneuver happen. So it wasn't like going from being a Space Marine player and then suddenly someone dropping a tower army in front of you and saying, go figure it out. And it's just you can't use the same tactics. Well, it's one of the reasons why I like I do like the card mechanic because I just started playing Dust 19, you know, and the first game of Dust I played was a couple weeks ago. Right. And it was a blast. And it would, a lot of it came down to the card mechanic. Right. Because all of the cards are right there. I all didn't the information have five is right million rules to go through. I looked at the card. What does that unit do? Oh, look, it's right there on the card. Oh, what do the dice do? Oh, there's only three things a dice can do because there's right. only three <laughs> faces <laughs> on a six dice. It's weird. So it's, taking a D6 it's, and it, giving it, it three it pippers. It honestly <laughs> is. And, and I've, I've had people tell me, you know, that, that they get frustrated with games like Dust because it's too easy. But for me, it's not because it's it becomes more about the maneuver than it does about knowing all these grognardy rules. Right. It was just about having fun, and, and it really was. I think that's what Bloodward Skies is going to be for me. This is another beer and pretzels outlet where it's not like my Mechanicum Army I play in 30K where I've got a whole tome of you know, it's 40 different weapon systems in one army Absolutely. that you've got to know. And they all do different things. They all have special rules. That's not this. And that's that's a good thing because I don't need another game that's that deep. Um, and that's why I do like this because I think it's something that once I knuckle down, well, push well, two airplanes on. around the board, I, I think was about I'm going to say, get this. Uh, full disclosure, how many different airplanes are in your force right now? So oh, I got Yaks. Yeah. Lindley's Hurricanes. Right. And my bombers. That's okay. It. And that's it. So, well, actually, I do you're, have. You're going to be the simple man of I, us because I've, Brett, I've got illusions. I do have illusions, Migs. Yeah, okay. And so, they're, they're, so, they're, they're, they're hanging out. I haven't painted them yet. But yeah, but they're out Brett, there. how about yours? So, what all? Just just your Luftwaffe. So, oh, Brett's, Luftwaffe. Brett's gone completely down a rabbit hole. No, I don't, th- I don't think he's gone <laughs> as bad as you. So, this is no, why I'm bringing this up. All right, 109s, 110s. You want the unpainted stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what are you going to have to master to play the forces you have painted or unpainted? Yeah, 109s, 110s, the uh, HE-111s, and the DO-17s. Okay. Uh, those will be certainly played. Absolutely. And for me, Spitfires, and there's a couple variants there, so I have the cards from Arc 5s, so I, I'll be able to, to see how those play a little differently. Um, I have you know Mark 9s and, and later model uh, Spitfires there. I also have... Um, I didn't have Typhoons. I have Tempest, but I have the card from the expansion for those for some late war things. Um, But what's kind of concerning me is I've got this whole U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps force that I haven't even touched. Much like you have an entire, you know, Zeros and and Japanese 
force that we haven't played against each other. So and there's a lot more that is now available for the IGN. So that's not- exactly. So I, I think it's kind of funny that that I have a little bit of the same feeling. We're like, oh yeah, that's fine. I I understand my forces. They're all playing very similarly. And then I go, and I've got this Navy Marine Corps Pacific thing that I haven't played, which I can't imagine is going to be very different. But I think that's something we'll probably talk about once once we've played some of those games. Is did they play like Battle of Britain, but with different traits? Or were those cards because the speed and the maneuvers were not matched? For, for all of today, we all had an aircraft for the same speed, same yeah. firepower. We were, I think, also all the same, yeah, same maneuverability. Yeah, the Yak card so, and the, the Yak 1B card and the Spitfire so cards. Other the same than card. our aircraft traits, our aircraft performance was the same. It was just who was the faster, who moved no, first. Yeah, pretty evenly matched. Pretty evenly yeah. matched. I think. Brett and I are going to find when we take zeros against Wildcats, zeros against Corsairs, we're going to find there's some different mechanics there because the aircraft are not matched. They are intentionally, as they were in the war, different capabilities. And you'll have to fight them. We haven't busted out the 110s yet. We should try that tonight. Right, right. And well, so that's going to be the interesting thing is adding in the the multi-engine aircraft there and just even the multi-engine mechanic, much less a much more firepower heavy aircraft than what we had. We were like, yeah. I'll take the pilot skill and add a die every time. No big deal. That's easy. Not so much when I'm flying against a BF-110 now. Much more firepower in that airplane. So it'll change the odds a little bit. Yeah. Maybe I'll actually get a pipper that's, you know, <laughs> gets me a boom get your Get your boom chit for once. <laughs> yeah, you say that after how many boom chits you racked up on well, my that's guys. That's true. I, I feel like I rolled a lot where I didn't hit anything. But Well, and there there is that too. So that's, that's the funny part of this that... Um, to go into that boom chip mechanic and to, to beat that dead horse. There were plenty of times that we took shots that nobody hit. And and it was kind of refreshing that you have some poor disadvantaged fighter being pushed around by two enemy fighters and nobody's hitting him. Yep. Now you're keeping him out of the fight and you're, you're bringing the rest of the fight to those guys, which is good and bad. So we'll talk about some of the tactical decisions here in a second. But one of the things that I found very funny was... Um, is, is there were a lot of bandit gathering maneuvers out there where everybody really wants to kill one guy and we were all guilty of it. And then we didn't think about everybody else flowing into this fight. And the fact that if you don't take the most direct route and run straight into the fight and you curve around the clouds or you go through the clouds maneuver and come out a different direction, then all of a sudden you've really got to be conscious of, of who's guarding your six o'clock. And I know that I used that well against both you guys and then Brett you used against me uh, as well in in a couple of those situations where you could pop out of the cloud and there's not a whole lot I could do you know and and if if we had just or if I had thought less about trying to shoot down the ME 109 that was in front of me and more about I need to point myself at the guy who's coming out of the cloud so I'm I'm ready for it Um, there would have been less exploiting of those those unguarded aircraft Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. That was a a good, quick discussion. We'll talk more tactics later. We'll talk more about the some of the game mechanics that we're working through, uh, because there's still a lot of other things out there that we want to explore and want to work with as we uh, we really get started playing this game more. So thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And hopefully the listeners have gotten something out of this so that they realize the system may not be as daunting as it looks. And it's actually pretty darn fun to play. There may be some some veteran players out there going to hear this and Maybe inform us of the mistakes. I'm made. sure they will. <laughs> so, so I always use the example of the uh, the RFZ guys. That oh, yeah. there's a lot of feedback yeah. on people saying that's not how the mechanic works. Go reread the rule book. So, if you're out there and you are a veteran Blood Red Skies player, 
or if you're Andy Chambers, and we have totally hosed something up, drop us a line. Our Facebook page is out there on Facebook. You can go look for Lead Pursuit Podcast. Uh, our website's out there as well with the contact form. It's got a big space in there where you can write how stupid we are and just tell us all <laughs> the things we need to fix. And likewise, please give us some feedback on the podcast, things you want to hear about. Realize we're getting started into this and really trying to cover a lot of the introductory information. So if you're a veteran player and you're like, why aren't we talking about all the combos of specific aces and specific aircraft? We'll get there. We're trying to help all the people who right now who are like us that have picked up a box of fighters and go, what do we do now? Yeah, what do we paint? I'm, what decals do we put on there? I'm you looking know? forward to uh, sharing some insights we have on the hobby aspect too. That'll be fun. Absolutely. And, and so for all the listeners, we'll be doing a couple uh, episodes talking about specifically decals and and how to properly do some of these things. And as I'm fond of invoking, because I'm the least capable of the artisans here, the rule, the three foot rule. So the ability to take a step back and go, how much detail do I need on the models to make them look good, look professional, have fun on the table with them, but not spend all my days painting uh, because some of us don't have the schedules to do that. But then all the cool things you can add like acrylic prop discs and, and all the other cool add-ons. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we'll catch up with you next time for another episode of the Lead Pursuit Podcast.